Hey, this is Adam Green, the director of Hatchet, and you're listening to WithoutYourHead.com. station of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil and i'm joined by neil's i just asked you how to say this Burganji, i believe Burganji is fine yeah great to be here thank you so much yeah it's very cool to have you here and let everyone know swipe your new short is gonna be playing at shriek fest which is coming up in la yeah i'm really excited about it yeah i i love uh swipe and uh, we'll talk about it, obviously, but uh, give people an idea, which is kind of hard to do when it's a short because you don't want to give too much away, I guess. Yeah. So basically, the movie is about a, a woman who's on a dating app and she encounters this creepy looking guy who she immediately swipes to the left. Um, but then she pop, like the guy pops up in her feed again. And for some reason, she can't get rid of him. And then he's getting a little bit too close for comfort. And, um, you know, it's interesting because at Shriekfest, there's a lot of uh, filmmakers from different parts of the world. And um, I think a Swipe really is universal because it's something that I think everyone can understand. Is that something you think about when you make a, a short that it can play, you know, everywhere? Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, the funny thing is that despite the fact that when I live in Amsterdam, so in the Netherlands, I actually shot it in New York. Oh, really? um, yeah. And I figured it was a good story to tell in New York. Like at the time, it was like during the, the Trump era, there was a lot of talk about misogyny and, and that kind of stuff. And I kind of felt like it fitted with the um, And plus, you know, like having this type of encounter in a really big city, which is really far removed from where I live. Like basically Amsterdam is like a big village and not close to a city. I felt like it really 
contributed to the alienation of the story. So, uh, yeah, we decided to shoot it there. I know you mentioned that a lot of the shots kind of give you that feel like, uh, you know, you're small and you're alone and like down along the hallway, just in the big city. Yeah, it's funny because usually when you don't have a lot of budget, one of the things that you often talk about with producers is like, should we or should we not have enough money for extras? But in this case, I actually told my producer, you know what, let's not have any extras because I kind of felt like it would be creepier if she was walking by herself and you didn't see anyone close to her uh, because she couldn't, you know, call for help. So mm-hmm. I figured that this would actually really add to the atmosphere. That's a good point. Cause some of my friends yell at me cause I, I like to travel around and I, I don't mind walking around cities at night. I know my guy, it's a little different, but still, I always think if you're somewhere that's all lit up and there's a lot of people, if you use a little bit of common sense, you'd probably be all right. But if you go down places where you're alone, then, you know, bad things could happen. Exactly. And it's, it's like, it's funny because I often think about like, why do I always cast a woman in this type of scenario? But in this case, I really felt like it should be a woman because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for uh, a lot of women, dating apps can be actually be pretty scary. Like uh, before I had a girlfriend, like I was on dating apps as well. And I never had like a weird, scary encounter, even though like every woman that I know who was on a dating app had at least one encounter that was kind of scary. So it kind of fit in. There was something uh, I thought about when I was, I don't give away a lot of it, but um, there used to be a part of Facebook that actually would tell you your friends, like how close they were. And like, it kind of creeped me. I wasn't on the dating part or anything. I was just, it would just show up like so-and-so was like two miles away and, under a mile. And it, I was thought, man, that's just like creepy. It's almost like a stalker app for Facebook, like built in, which I don't think is on there anymore. No, but it's funny. Like you, you bring up a good point. Like in a way, like these dating apps are like the perfect tool for stalkers. So I always felt like why, and that's why at the time when I was still on a dating app, I was so um, fascinated by women who would put their Instagram or their, you know, place of work, all these things they're really private. And I'm like, well, I'm a good guy, so I wouldn't do anything. But if you would encounter a creepy guy, he would probably think, oh, no, I know where that place is. I actually could just visit her at her work. You know, it's it's the perfect place for a stalker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's weird because, you know, you don't want to be like untrustworthy. But at the same time, if you're more if you're too trusting, you're 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 more vulnerable. Yeah, you know, like common sense helps. Like, yeah. and then with these types of, types of apps, it's sort of like, it's you. You better be safe than be sorry. Yeah. So, what were you doing in New York when you filmed it? Were you there for this, or were you there for another reason? Well, it's funny because um, originally, like a couple of months prior, when I was still developing the short, but I didn't actually decide to shoot it in New York. I was. Uh, in New York to visit a friend uh, who was a producer and it was during Halloween. So we were talking about horror movies and she was actually more of a documentary producer, but I had this idea and I'm like, you know what? It would actually be a really interesting um, thought to place this in New York. And would you be interested in that? And she actually made a couple of documentaries about um, women who were harassed online. So she immediately knew the arena and um, and then a couple of months later, we decided to, you know, shoot it there. So I was in New York just for the short. Oh, cool. So um, I thought all the locations look great. Like I said, even the hallway. I really like the staircase and stuff. 
So were these just, did you go, how did you come about? Like, where are you going to shoot it? I know you're in New York, but did you have to just travel around and like, Hey, this is a good place. And, well, my producer lives in New York, so mm-hmm. uh, that really helps. And she uh, gave me a couple of options where we could shoot. But funny enough, like, I think she started out by saying, you know, we could always shoot it at my place because I have a pretty cool staircase and interesting, uh, you know, place where I live. And I don't know why, like, probably because I visited her place a couple of times before. I was like, yeah, no, but we'll probably found, find something that's better. But then... When we were looking at the location photos that she sent me, I kept thinking, oh, I don't know, like, it's, is it, you know, like, obviously you have to believe that the, the main character has a living space that fits with what she does. And she's a student, so it can't be too big, but you do want to place a camera somewhere. And then the, the place where my producer lives has this really long hallway that we could, you know, really, really use. And, yeah, that really and- works. <laughs> Yeah, and it and it kind of looks a little bit abandoned in a way. So that also really fitted. So and then I was like, you know what? Let's just shoot it at your place. It's actually ideal. And then when we decided that we were going to shoot it at her place, we found a sort of like a college that was pretty close to where she lives, and we found this other location uh, like near like all the, these apartment buildings that looked really cool. So then we you know just decided to shoot every, everything pretty close to where she lives. There's something I always find in just inherently creepy about a long hallway. I don't know why, especially like in a hotel. And when, if it's late at night or when there's not anyone walking around, there's this, it always looks creepy. I think. Makes me think yeah, of Barton I, I think thing. It's probably just the idea that you have, like you'd see exactly what they're, what, Uh, uh, there's no place to hide you know it's just a long straight corridor and um i think that's sort of the idea that if you and and in the movie like i'm not gonna give anything away but in the movie the main character actually looks through a like a spy hole so she should be safe right in that scene but because you see it from her perspective from her point of view it still adds to the creepiness and it's funny because we were shooting it and then while we were shooting it, one of the lights actually flickered just once. And then in the edit, we decided to replicate that. So now it looks like the uh, light is constantly flickering. And it, you know, it's a, it's a cliche, but it yeah, works it really works. well. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I normally, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine in movies when people are looking at their phone. It's just like, why, why do I want to watch something where per, persons are looking at their phone? But it really works in here. And ha. When you're making it, does does that come into mind? Like, how do I make this interesting when it's primarily, you know, someone looking at their phone? Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm really fascinated by stories about people who are sort of like obsessed with their phones, maybe because I'm one of these people myself. But yeah, I also, right? I didn't have a phone till I think about eight years ago. And then my oh, co-host right. at the time, Annabelle, she's like, you can't like not have a phone. And I was like, I'll never use it. But yeah, I have it all the time now. Well, you know, I'm, I'm of the generation where when I was a, a kid and I wanted to ask a girl out, the first thing I had to do was call the landline and then I would get her parents on the phone and we're, would hear this, you know, this discussion in the back, like, who's this guy? And then finally you would get her on the phone. And now these days, like the, the middleman has been cut off and you can go straight to, you know, anyone you want to approach. And I think there's also something creepy about it because there is no filter anymore. And I think that's sort of like what interests me about this storyline because 
you know, you can approach anyone. And like I said, like it's a stalker's dream. So, and, and then, you know, and the story was so much, you know, telephone based that as a viewer, you kind of want her to look at the phone because that's where the new information is, especially mm-hmm. when you're sort of like as a viewer, you're figuring out how the stalker is actually getting closer and how as a viewer you can tell. So then it actually becomes quite exciting to see what she sees. Yeah. And you can't make the excuse like it used to be if you'd call someone's house, you'd say you weren't home or something. But, you know, everyone has their phone on them at all the time. So if they're not answering, they're probably doing it, you know, purposely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And uh, the music, uh, the score really adds a lot to the tension. Yeah. Like I'm really lucky because a, like I think around eight years ago, I met this really talented uh, Danish composer who uh, was actually living in LA at the time. And he now had to move back because of the, because of COVID, but um, he is a really talented composer. His name is uh, Jesper Ankerfeld. And he's great. Like he scored everything I've done for the last eight years. And um, yeah, I can't wait to work with him again. Yeah, it was great. And uh, how about uh, the the main character, Ebony Obsidian, which is a great name, by the way. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. funny. It's funny also because her name is Ebony and the, the a guy who plays the, the villain, his name is Jefferson White. So I don't know. It, it, <laughs> yeah. it, add, it added a layer to the film. Yeah, and you kind of um, reverse the kind of the, the, the cliche of the black hat being the villain and the white hat being the good guy. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, now Eb- Ebony, like we were really lucky because my producer knew someone who knew Ebony. So when I and I kind of think because I made a movie in L.A. before and at the time we had a really tough time finding a right actor. And I kind of figured out that if you want to approach a really talented actor, you kind of have to know them or know someone that knows them. Because if you want to do it through the official channels, like an agent or a manager, it, you know, it's a real it's, it's really difficult. And my producer knew someone who knew Ebony. And it was also one of the first actresses that she brought up. Like you could, you know, maybe she would be interesting. And at the time she just um, finished doing um, the Barry Jenkins film, uh, If Bill Street Could Talk. So she was, you know, really starting to make a name for herself. And now she's on this show called Sisters, which is a big hit, I think. So we were just really lucky because we, I think I, when I was, when I met her, the thing I did before was actually see if Bill Street could talk, but it wasn't playing in my country yet. And I was so, you know, so moved by it. And she was great. And then like five minutes later, she was sitting in front of me. So it was really bizarre, especially for, for me who, you know, who lives in Amsterdam and doesn't yeah. always get to meet uh, actors. So no, it's great. We're really lucky with her. Um, in, in Amsterdam, I don't know, because I've never been there, but um, do a lot of, is it hard to get into like movie making? Is that something that's accessible? Um, I guess so. Yeah, it's, you know, because it's not a, a big country, I guess it's pretty easy to network. Like, like a lot of filmmakers are struggling. So maybe I'm at a point now where I'm really lucky how I was able to, you know, be a full-time filmmaker and, you know, also do commercials and making, making a living out of it. I know a lot of uh, filmmakers aren't that lucky. So in a way, I guess I was really lucky, but now I'm also really interested in uh, seeing if I can maybe do more stuff in America. And I was really lucky with swipe because um, when swipe premiered, um, 
it was actually sent to a couple of managers and agents, and I was able to <coughs> sign by uh, WME. Um, so I was really lucky with that, and I found a really amazing manager. Um, and uh, and now we're sort of like uh, developing a couple of feature projects uh, oh, nice. in the space. So uh, yeah, so that's really exciting. Well, you know, along those lines, well, first of all, I think Swipe looks great. It's shot really well. It looks very professional. And um, I always wonder, like, what's a goal when you make a short? Because sometimes now there's there are more platforms where they can go. But um, I know a lot of people who only make shorts, and that's cool. But I always think you would you would think you'd make a short hoping to either make a feature or something else. So when you started making them, was that like kind of your idea? Like this will this is like a showcase of what I can do? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. Like it wasn't really meant as a proof of concept like this, this movie in particular, but um, it was a very conscious decision to shoot it in New York and to shoot it with a American crew and make it look as, you know, as professional, but also as American as possible. So it would maybe give me some opportunities. And in that case, I, uh, or in that, I guess it works because, you know, like I'm now I'm doing some stuff there. Um, and, you know, like when I grew up, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in love with movies because of shorts. I was in love with movies because of feature films. Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, making shorts is just a really good opportunity to sort of like try out everything and like I, i've made dramas i made comedies now i'm more of an, in the horror sphere so now i'm doing a lot of, of those kind of movies but it's you know it just gives you the opportunity to dive into a certain genre but not spend like two years of your life and then if you find out no it's not really for me you know then you can move on and i guess uh, uh due to swipe i really found a, a love for the genre so now ever since i directed swipe i've actually uh, directed a couple of other horror movies so uh, i think i'm really gonna focus on this for a while so uh, what were the things that you watched that wanted you that made you want to become a filmmaker because I, I, I know I do the horror show, but I actually like all different hey. kinds of movies. So. Oh, man, there were so many movies like I could like name hundreds. But I guess, you know, I'm an 80s kid. So I guess uh, someone like Sp Steven Spielberg, like had a really big influence, not just the movies he directed, but also the movies he produced. Um, but, you know, ever I like when I was a teenager and kind of dived into more like classic cinema, obviously I fell in love with um you know alfred hitchcock and but at the time during the 90s um you know really interesting filmmakers like david fincher um kind of and and also tarantino but in particular david fincher was a big influence like i really remember seeing seven when i was uh 15 and being blown away by it and i think he was definitely one of the filmmakers that made me want to be a director yeah, that is a great movie. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure most people agree, but <laughs> what it was it about Seven? Was it, uh, you know, what, what was it about that movie specifically? I think what I loved about Seven so much is that it's when you start out watching that movie, it feels like the type of movie you've seen a hundred times before. Like it's sort of like this uh, uh, serial killer slash buddy cop movie. But then it turns out to be so completely different i think when i saw that movie it really made me um realize what a director does and how you can like really put your stamp on something and i think 
because uh, I was 15 at the time that I sort of like, I, I guess I never quite understood what a director did. And I think just watching that movie, I understood perfectly what the director did. So I think it just helped me make a decision of what I wanted to do with my life. That's interesting, because I always think, too, that a lot of people assume a director really is just the guy with the camera, like mm-hmm. shooting yeah. stuff, which he's not even doing that a lot of times. It's, the, you know, the cinematographer. But I do think a lot of people don't realize, you know, and when I've been on sets uh, the last couple of years for a couple of things, yeah, then it gave me a really different uh, idea of what the director does and all the different takes and how why it's called director, I guess. Yeah. And you, and there's so many different types of directors. Like you have directors who are, when you walk on the set, you immediately recognize who the director is someone who's very like focal and very, you know, um, you can't, you know, you can't take your eyes off of him. But I've also encountered directors who will sit somewhere in a corner watching their monitor. And sometimes uh, they say something to their DOP or their first AD. But basically, they're just watching a monitor and not interact as much. And the the one like the first is not better than the second. It's just a different style. And I think it's it's a type of profession that doesn't really have a way of doing it. There's like a hundred ways, and all of them can be terrific. So it's uh and yeah, and you never get bored. Like every project I do, like I, I learn something new. I expand my horizon it's just you know it's I, I still get a huge kick out of it and i've been doing it for like 15 years now so uh yeah it's it's great yeah well i mean even two ones you and not you we mentioned hitchcock and spielberg i mean no one's gonna argue their movies are bad but one was like notoriously not a pleasant guy to the actors and one yeah. guy like no one ever says anything bad about and uh so like i said yeah. not one way is the right way you know it was the right way for one guy and the right way for the other guy Exactly. And, and there you go. Like they're like two completely different people. Um, and I think someone like Hitchcock would really struggle and, 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 and agree. Like he should struggle in this current climate. Yeah. Uh, same thing like Stanley Kubrick. Cause you know, you hear all the horror stories, but I don't, you know, that not that it's good, but it, I don't think it would work today. You know? No, like, 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 but it kind of depends. Like someone like uh, Stanley Kubrick, he wasn't necessarily like a, uh, a bad guy he he only uh maybe his uh behavior on the set of the shining right uh, he sort of like um traumatized shelly duvall might be a little bit like hmm, not quite sure if i would agree with that but uh but he's like he, he i don't think i've ever heard something bad uh, about kubrick and I think someone like Fincher is not too different from a Stanley Kubrick. He also does a lot of takes, like often he does like 80 or hundred takes and someone like Spielberg, I think is he, he does maybe like 15 takes or something like that. And he's a, I think a very chill, easy going guy. So it's, and they're all geniuses. So, you know, there's no, not one way to do it. Right. Yeah. So uh, the commercials doing the commercials, does that help you uh, in your film uh, doing like a narrative? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, you know, first of all, it, it gives me the opportunity to pay my rent. Sure. So, sure. And, and, that, it, and it, that's always uh, a plus. Yeah. And that's always a plus. <laughs> but it, it also, you know, gives you some freedom to actually not feel too guilty about the time that you spend on fiction projects. Or you could actually decide, you know what, I'm going to do a fiction project for me and not do a fiction project because I need to make money. Uh, and that makes my decisions whenever I do a project uh, much clearer because if I 
needed to do like fiction projects to to pay my rent, maybe I then would be very tempted to, you know, direct projects that aren't necessarily the type of project that I would watch. And I think as a director, that's really important because you shouldn't, well, you know, everyone should do whatever they want. But I guess for me, it, it really works that I direct projects that I would watch myself uh, because, you know, then I know how to direct it because I know what type of audience I am. And um, so commercials, it just, you know, it gives me the opportunity to direct what I want. Yeah. I mean, that comes up a lot with uh, friends of mine who make independent movies. A lot of them will, you know, they're editors by trade or something. And then, like you said, then they can go and make the movies that they enjoy making uh, in their free time. Yeah. And plus, you know, like commercials, they give you the opportunity to just try out a lot of techniques. So, you know, like on a commercial, usually I'm like working on that for like a month or maybe two months. And then afterwards, you're going to do a completely different commercial. So sometimes, you know, I work a lot with kids, but I also direct food stuff, which is very technical and all these types of different projects. But you always learn something from it. Yes. So either I would you learn assume that would just help you with the craft of actually, you know, making something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you learn something that you think, you know what, I want to use this that I learned on this commercial and I want to use it for a fiction project and that has happened a lot so uh yeah i for me like that combination of doing uh a fiction project and a commercial that's just ideal mm. so uh, you said when you did swipe you know you start you got a different appreciation uh for horror um did you start to watch any horror movies that you hadn't seen before oh so many like i was always a big movie buff and also a big like horror buff so uh in that respect i don't think a lot has changed, but I watch it differently. And I guess now um, I would watch horror, even though it might not be like top of my list to watch it, but it it almost feels like homework, even like watching a bad one or mm-hmm. some, uh, like a horror movie that isn't necessarily like a classic, but just, you know, entertaining. Like I can always get something from it. Like I can always watch it and think like, oh, that's an interesting technique or oh, I might use this or, oh, wow, I would never do this. You know, so it in 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 a way, I guess it it added to, you know, my taste that I wanted to explore that genre more. So I I started watching it a lot more, but I I was always a big horror buff before. Uh, that's interesting. Is uh, what you said there about because I like a lot of movies that, like you said, might not be re- technically a great movie, but they're enjoyable. But I, I don't think that's uh, people have that thought for most genres. It's like hor- you can watch like a kind of a bad horror movie and still enjoy it. But you're probably not going to watch like a bad drama and think, oh, this is fun to watch. Exactly. Like even a bad horror movie is still fun. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, you still get a lot, lot out of it. And if a, a drama is bad, it's just a <laughs> right. waste of time. Yeah. But that also. Yeah. And I guess that's also one of the reasons why I like the genre so much, because there's so many ways to like make a horror movie that's interesting that isn't always connected of it being like good or like it can be technically good or it can be very daring or you know it like to give you an, a, like a very uh contemporary example like i saw uh james wan's malignant i was actually ago. just that's exactly what i was thinking of because i just saw it too 
but yeah, you know, and it's technically like, I would it's, say it's not good, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, it's it's funny because I watched it a week ago. Me and a buddy of mine who's also a horror director, and d- while we were watching it, we were sort of like whispering, like, "Is it is it bad? Like, like it's really hard to tell. Like there was definitely stuff that was not great, but." I think it's like like it's been a week since I watched it and still I'm thinking about it and still I'm sort of like fascinated about it. So I have a two for it. Yeah, I didn't want to interrupt you, but it's weird because it feels like a movie. If it would have came out in the 80s on VHS tape with like a, a, a much smaller budget, I think it would the people who some of the people who don't like it would lo- would have loved it because it's kind of it feels like watching like Basket Case or a movie from the 80s. And yeah. um, but yet it's a big budget mainstream movie and yet it's like totally batshit crazy. So it uh, I don't know. There's something about that that was very appealing for me in the, in the theater, watching it with like people that I think kind of like like mainstream movies. And then it's about halfway through. It really just goes bonkers. And uh, just all of that really added to the enjoyment uh, for me. Yeah, no, it's funny. I think the mistake I made when I was when I started watching it was I thought it would be similar to movies like insidious or the conjuring yeah but then i you know when you're when you're watching it like even from the opening scene i'm not going to spoil anything but from the opening scene you're already like hmm yes yeah choice to go into this direction and i i may i should have known better i i really want to see it again because now i'm sort of like really interested in how i would watch it the second time so it's um no it's fascinating it's um yeah it's definitely a movie that if you're a horror buff um it you're gonna get a big kick out of it because it 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 has so many references to you know like dargento and the palma and uh you know basket case is a good example so it's uh it's it's a very interesting movie but uh, but definitely for genre love it like i wouldn't take my girlfriend to see that movie yeah i don't think it's like for more of a mainstream audience you know yeah and it actually kind of goes back to what you're talking because i think it's a movie james wan i mean he could make you know he makes big huge movies so this is probably not a movie that like they told him like, Hey, make this, it's going to do well. I think it seems like something he really wanted to make. And he's like, I'm going to go, I'm just going to go for it. It's like this really crazy movie. Yeah. And it's funny because I was talking to some buddies uh, before watching it. And I was like, you know what? I really hope that this movie is going to remind me of like the Palma when he did like movies like Raising Cain. Like he was in the studio system and he made these big movies. But then he, he, he figured, you know what? I've made a couple of really big movies for you guys. Let me ju- just do this movie just for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just let me just explore something that I haven't explored yet. And it, that's kind of what it is. It really feels like one tr- uh, trying to, you know, expand on a type of genre of horror that he hasn't done yet. And uh, in that respect, I really respect him because a lot of directors would be punished for a movie like this. And still he decided to do it. So it's yeah. uh, it's definitely like a very daring, interesting movie. Yeah. And for if people like it or don't like I do, it is interesting. Everyone's talking about it. And uh yeah. I think that's better than just a movie that, you know, comes and goes and people are like, eh, whatever. Yeah. It's better to have people really like it or really dislike it, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Do you have a favorite horror movie or a couple? Oh, God. Well, it's funny because when you name like the favorites, it's always the cliched ones, you know. 
So, but a movie that I uh, rewatched recently to see if I still enjoyed as much as I did when I watched it when I was a kid was uh, the original Candyman. Oh, which, nice. um, when I saw it, it was one of my you know favorite horror movies. But I was you know at, at exactly the right age when I saw it when I was like completely obsessed with horror movies, but also with horror movies that kind of took itself uh, very seriously. And I think at the time when uh, Candyman came out, you had all of these horror movies that are like, they were trying to be either meta or they tried to be funny. And, and Candyman was like really serious and really uh, was trying to say something about the world that we were living in. And now, you know, this type of uh, horror has, you know, even its own name, like uh, what's it called again? Like um, Elevated Horror, I think it's called. Yeah. yeah. But I rewatched it because of obviously because of the new Candyman and uh, it's still so incredibly good. You know, like the score from Philip Glass and the, the whole atmosphere. And it, I just think it's like a, a, a classic. And uh, it's and I'm really, really glad that due to the new one that a lot of people are rediscovering Candyman because I really think it's it's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, I do, too. That's actually one of my mom's favorites. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Did you like exactly. the new one? Uh, I did, but not as it wasn't as good as the original. And, you know, like, obviously, that's something that's easy to say. I thought it was it had a really good uh, elements to it, but. You know, Tony Todd was magnificent. Like he is like he's a legend in the in the original. And it's so impossible to even, you know, get close to that type of charisma. So it was uh, sort of impossible. But I think they made some really cool choices. And I'm really I really hope that they're going to do a new one because the new one could actually be even more interesting than the, the current one. Definitely so, set up uh, to continue. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I, I liked it, but uh, I, I had some issues with some things, but overall I liked it. But again, it's hard to compare it to the, to the original movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are you working on anything currently? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm you said you're, on- uh, maybe a, a feature. Or yeah, no. Um, so my, so I have a new short that is uh, almost done called shut, uh, which is going to be released, I think early next year. Uh, which is going to be another horror movie, which is, uh, but I shot it in, in, in Holland. So it's not a uh, American film. Um, I'm going to do a, I'm doing, I'm doing two shows here in Holland. Uh, one is a Halloween special of a show that's already being released here. And then another one is a child's uh, horror show that is basically like ages um, eight to 12, which is a really interesting age to make horror for. Um, I'm attached to a, uh, a, a blacklist script um, called uh, The Interventionist, which was, it's a really terrific script. So uh, we're currently talking to actors for that. So when we attach like really interesting talent, uh, that would probably be the first feature I'm going to do. And I'm um, developing a feature film uh, of this movie of Swipe. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. it definitely feels like it could be expanded. Yeah, yeah, and it's I'm really excited about it, and uh, we have a very cool um, production house that's uh, interested in doing it, and um, we have a writer now, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's becoming really interesting and really coming together. So I'm really excited about it. Very cool. And so Swipe's going to be a Shriek Fest, and um, 
I know you're in Holland, so I, or Netherlands, so I don't know if you'll be at Shriek Fest. But have you been at any uh, at festivals that played it? Have you oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, um, the movie came out, I think, almost two years ago. Um, so I was lucky that I was able to experience it at a couple of festivals that, you know, screen it on a big screen where I was able to attend. So I saw it in New York and I saw it in L.A. before and a couple of other festivals. But then obviously COVID happened. And then like like the last year, like year and a half, actually, I wasn't able to see it on a big screen with audiences, which is a bummer because this genre is like the perfect, you know, genre to uh, experience it with an audience. So I was really bummed about that. And the current Corona measures here in Holland kind of make it impossible for me to, you know, now go to L.A. So I was sort of. Uh, planning to go but now unfortunately i can't so i won't be at the festival um which is a real shame but you know like due to you know an interview like this and I, i'll try to be very you know um active on social media i hope people will you know take the time to respond or you know uh tell me what they thought of the movie because you know since I won't be able to be there, I really hope that I will get some cool response from uh, audiences. Yeah, that's one of the main things I miss or, uh, is going to the festivals uh, over the last year. I mean, obviously, I want everyone to be safe. That's most important. But I do miss going to the festivals. Yeah. Well, then, uh, like I said, it's the interaction. Uh, watching horror or comedy with people is is a is a fun experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And then afterwards, that uh, you know, most people get together and talk. The filmmakers and fans and who impress everybody. Which is a yeah, good and, and like I said, like Swipe is the first horror movie that I did. And I really like I think I made more friends at horror festivals than I did at other film festivals. Like, I don't know why, but I guess um, they kind of feel like kindred spirits in a way that if you're if you like this genre, yeah. you know, you're already like you can already be friends for life. So uh, and I made some really cool international friends due to uh, uh, horror film festivals. So. It's been, you know, it's been so much fun and I can't wait to, you know, visit a new one. So hopefully you can do that soon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah everyone has a, this uh, common love. And uh, I, I find that a horror fans, for the most part, there's always exceptions, everybody, but are very accepting of other people because uh, horror fans are all different. There could be like some guy with a bunch of tattoos and looks crazy and uh, someone who looks pretty normal like yourself. So it could be, you know, anybody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just I think a lot of horror fans um, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm speaking more about myself, but I think it's sort of like a genre that is really attractive to outsiders. Um, and I think because of uh, all of these outsiders that end up making horror movies that when you uh, meet each other at film festivals, there's already this sort of connection. And um, yeah, like I said, like, I've made really cool friends at film festivals, I think. And also, if you're if you're a fan of horror movies, you're there are so many films you want to talk about because mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who don't like horror. So whenever you meet someone who does like horror, you're like, oh, we have to talk about it. You know, I'm kind of feel like the the guy from The Simpsons from the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have to talk about it. Sure. So yeah, so yeah, and it, it it's, it's been great. Like I really miss going to film festivals. So I uh, I hope I can do that soon. Yeah. And uh, the internet gets a bad rap, maybe even in your movie in, in some ways, but there is good parts of it. It is like uh, you can find other people who are into stuff that 
you know, growing up, there weren't a lot of people I knew that were into horror movies, but then you get online and you find a bunch of people and uh, same thing with yeah. the festivals. Yeah. And I guess one of the, the few things that is a positive out of the whole COVID situation is that people were like, sort of like forced to interact through, you know, through Zoom. But I guess yeah, well, we didn't do the show through Zoom till, uh, till COVID. I didn't even know it's uh, now, so. Well, there you go. And then like through Zoom, I was able to also meet a lot of really cool people like yourself. And now we can interact. And this wouldn't have happened if I wasn't if I wasn't able to attend the, the film festival. And now we're still talking. So, um, you know, there's good things and bad things. And uh, I'll, I'll just try to focus on the good things. So I'm not necessarily too. You know, I'm definitely not bad, bad mouthing the internet, even though my movie, I'm doing it a little bit. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, it has a lot of really big advantages. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Well, this has been very cool to talk with you. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I hope people check out Swipe. I really liked it, not just because you're here. And I also watched some of the other stuff. I watched uh, Buddy, which I really liked. Not oh. horror, but people want to check it out online. And yeah. I checked out uh, your Maestro Burger ad for McDonald's, which did pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I also did that. Yeah, and hopefully next year I'm going to be at Shriek Fest with a, uh, another horror movie that, that I did called Woodland Cemetery, which is already playing at a couple of other festivals. Oh, cool. uh, so, yeah, there's uh, a lot of stuff coming. So uh, stay tuned. I will. Very good. And uh, by the way, how can people follow you if they would like to follow you? Not, um, not like yeah. uh, find out exactly where you are. Like, in yeah, 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 yeah. So on Instagram, it's my name, which is difficult enough. So it's like uh, www.instagram.com and then slash Niels Bourgogne. Uh, and, it's, and my website is also my name.com. My Fimeo is uh, Fimeo.com slash my name. So just type in my name and uh, you'll find me. Right. And th- if you don't know how to spell it, it'll be right here in the, uh, on the video, unless right. I misspell it, but uh, I, I am <laughs> sure. <I won't> <laughs> All right. Very cool. This has been very fun. It was. Yeah. yeah. Fun to talk to you, dude. Yeah. We'll do this again sometime. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Ripley, we should have listened. Sit here on a lie. Yutani. Now we're gonna die. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming night. Mostly, they're coming night. Mostly. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. Oh,